characters and go for it here and see what happens, okay? Okay. All right? Not that we like, you know, not that we've ever done that before. Yeah, all right, exactly. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. So, David, before I was so rudely interrupted, I was trying to get you to tell me whether or not the Japanese have built a flying turtle. No. Oh, Gamera. Gamera. Well, Gamera is like a monster, right? Gamera, it's a big flying turtle, big tusks, like you so seldom see uh, in a snapping turtle here in, in, in North America. Right. Uh, and... Uh, uh, Gamera is an invincible super monster and the guardian of the universe. Uh, okay, once again, weirded out that you know this kind of stuff, but keep going. Well, you know, he's 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 a big guy, uh, about two hundred and fifty feet tall, and about one hundred and twenty tons, and can cruise at Mach three, which is probably the best of any turtle. Yeah, but that's not I the Gamera we're so. talking about tonight, right? Oh, you're talking about the helicopter camera. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, now that one's worthy, too, because a young woman and a team at the University of Maryland's uh, Department of Engineering, which is University of Maryland Terrapins. Okay. Oh, John, I get Terrapins. it now. You All guys right. had caught that, had you? No, no, we hadn't. It, it was first thing that popped into my head. I said, oh, of course, they're the Terrapin. Uh, they flew a human-powered helicopter uh, about th- three feet off the ground, maybe, for over four seconds. For over four seconds. All right, first ah. of all, I saw that video. I don't think they got to three feet, all right? I think they got to, like, four, six inches. Okay, right. that could be right, too. All right. Uh, but they got it off the ground. They got all four corners. Gamera, the human-powered helicopter, uh, is a pretty big sucker, too. Uh, he's, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 160 feet, chip to chip, uh, outside rotor, outside rotor. Uh, he's an X-shaped, four rotors, all powered through a chain drive, weighs about 120 pounds empty. And Judy Wexler... Uh, 24-year-old biology student. Isn't it funny how the engineers had to go to the biology department to get somebody to fly this? Yeah, Uh, (laughs) wow. I'm convinced engineers try to never fly their own stuff. Uh, But at any rate, using foot pedals and hand pedals, right? like you might see on a, a therapeutic exercise machine, she got this puppy's rotor spinning like... Like Godzilla when it's knocked on his butt by Gamera (laughs) and (laughs) got it off the ground for four seconds. It took a monumental amount of energy to do that. Yeah, okay. It's not to diminish the the engineering accomplishment here because it's pretty cool, Um, but see, I don't, these aren't, these things aren't flying, all right? This is not flying. If you don't get out of ground effect, you're not flying. That's my rule. Uh, first, if you can get it off at the, the ground yeah. at all in this case. Yeah, anyways, Jeb, I'm sorry. Go ahead. When, when I first started looking at the images here, I was, I was like, is this a time lapse? What is, what is going on here? And then, Oh, it's then a jerky I, frame I, rate. This thing is. This is a big contraption. And I kind of wonder if, if maybe, you know, I, mean, I don't know how much, I don't know what the engineering is on this. I don't know what they've determined they need as far as... Um, uh, rotor um, area and RPM and, and what they're going to get and all this kind of thing. It just strikes me as a lot of it is too big um, for what they're trying to do. I don't know. 
Well, I would imagine it's because they need enough, you know, rotor area, wing area, um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. you know, and they and the reason they go to the biology department, and and you know, she may be majoring in biology, but I bet you anything, the real key here is that she's an athlete, because that's yeah. what she's. A, I'm sure she's an avid bicyclist. Yeah, exactly, because that's yeah. what they did probably, for the, yeah, uh, the cycling team, or something right? Like the uh, the human powered uh, uh, fixed wing aircraft from a bunch of years ago was a, a bicycle guy because they you know you got to find the sweet spot between a person who's not very heavy but incredibly strong and 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 lots of endurance but uh well, but, you're talking about paul mccready's two airplanes i guess uh, i am right yeah the, yeah, uh, the gossamer condor yeah. first and the gossamer albatross second uh brian allen uh old hang gliding buddy from way the hell back flew both of those really uh yeah, to, to the, the 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 Gossamer Condor won something called the Kramer Prize. Uh, I guess it was what seventy seven. Yeah, and had to fly one mile in a figure eight. At least I think it was ten feet off the ground for the entire course, uh, and accomplished that. And so there are people that backed the Kramer Prize. Uh, increase the prize money and uh, set up a second prize for the first team that could fly a man-powered or person-powered aircraft across the English Channel. At the, basically to mimic what uh, uh, Santos Dumont did in the Demoiselle, what now, you know, over 100 years ago. Uh, and Paul McCready's Gossamer Albatross did that, again with Brian Allen pedaling like crazy. Twenty-one. I think it was twenty-one, almost twenty-two miles across the channel, across the English Channel, and he never got out of ground effect. But oh, no. uh, you know, I mean, the the wingspan on that thing was uh, what was it? Around a hundred feet. It was yeah. big. Yeah, wasn't it? Was one of these deals where the wingspan was was greater than the Wright brothers' first flight or something like yeah. this? You know. Um, yeah, but, but the beautiful thing about that is that that kind of technology has pushed forward to the solar impulse today mm-hmm. because of how light they made things. Uh huh. What's the solar impulse? What's the solar impulse? Ugh got to be reading the news the solar impulse just made its first international flight but it is pure solar and battery power airplane and it has flown consect consist for a for a continuous spit it out amy you can do thank it. you continuous and i'm drinking water tonight um 27 hours straight 20? That means through the night, darling. Well, wait, and then, yeah, hold on. How do they do that? If that it's was solar, last summer. If it's yes, solar powered, how does it fly at night? It's got batteries. It's got batteries, and it utilizes a um, uh, uh, the same kind of technique that the Albatross actually uses, which is the electric engines, which are only 10 horsepower piece. God bless them. Um, and this thing is massive. It's got the wingspan of a 747. Uh it just at night when you start to go downhill, the props actually drive the engine just like a regenerative dry- braking mm-hmm. in a hybrid, and so it recharges the batteries. Get that? Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so they do these little little S's through the night, altitude wise. They go as high as they can in the daytime, and then they just kind of gently S through the night. 
gently coming down. And as soon as the sun comes back up, solar cells started generating. I think he had like 14 or 15% battery still left at sunrise. That was last summer. And so now um, it has gone to Brussels, Belgium, and it's on its way to the Paris Air Show. You can see it there. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are planning to take it around the world. Cool. Cool, I so, guess. I don't know. But I mean, everything what's... Dave's talking about is what generated what this is now. And ask me the question, why do you need to have an airplane that requires nothing but the sun to run? Yeah, I mean, really, what's the long-term, you know, kind of win out of these kinds of things? Jeb, tell him. We don't have to buy gasoline. Okay. Is that it, Jamie? Is that what you're going Ever. for? Ever. Because once you get to the point where you can prove that, that it is viable, that you can build an airplane that can carry two or three or four people. Now, now these are not speed demons, but, you know, these things come. But well, the, the, the feasibility... The wasn't a speed demon either. No, that's exactly right. And the feasibility of an airplane like my Kit Fox or a Champ or something that's not a speed demon anyway, things that loiter, things that have to do power line patrol, um, blimps, um, yeah, oh, come on, guys, help me out here. All those things could be flown with no, n- not even a hydrogen fuel cell. Sounds to me right, like you're so that it can it can generate enough solar power or enough power out of the solar cells to store energy on board to get through the night between what's on board and the regenerative aspect. Exactly. You're basically talking about being able to fly infinitely as long as you can keep it out of the rain. So oh, yeah, this just gives the, this just gives the NSA that much more loiter time over my house. I, I know this sounds, <laughs> sounds to me like Amy is singing the praises here of uh, you know remotely piloted and autonomously piloted drones here. Well, yes, of course that's what's going to get to use it first. <laughs> NASA's kind of proved that too, but but what is so interesting about this is where the where the technology um, trickles back down to us. Right. And the uniques of the world, and and the the um the unique oh yeah unique the uh, the that electric prototype exactly proof exactly. of concept airplane right yeah exactly mm-hmm. and and as the 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 technology for lightening it up as the technology for creating very strong very light films of solar cells that actually um, can generate more efficient electricity and you know electric engines are extremely efficient so that's not the problem it's it's can the batteries store it and can the solar cells generate it that's where our efficiency issues still lie all right well that turned into a much more interesting conversation than i thought it was going to david any final words on gamera either the helicopter or the turtle uh it's one movie i'm betting jeb doesn't have on dvd <laughs> you are you are correct, sir. <laughs> I think that they need they need to slip slip past the human powered thing. Get over that and go get some solar cells. There we go. <laughs> Congratulations to the Terrapins uh, for yes. one thing. I mean, uh, getting any kind of human powered aircraft off the ground is an accomplishment. A helicopter, in particular, even if it's only for four seconds, uh, you know that's that's just one step closer to when you can do ten. There you go. Seconds. 
There you go. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, a, I'm a little critical of, of some of the design details here, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, there are a li- couple of light years ahead of where I would be. There you go. On that note, welcome, folks, to uh, episode 236 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. background noise throughout the day, but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's not really noise. It's good background noise. That's yeah, right. this, is, this is the best seat in the house. That's right. We got Skyriders now. We got Skyriders We got Skyriders now. Skyriders now. Have, it, does that say UCAP? I can't It's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> and you're on site, clear land. Turkey Central Ground, good afternoon, sir. Taxi via Foxtrot and Delta. We're recording this episode on uh, Monday evening, September. September. Man, oh, getting way Lord. ahead of No way. <laughs> May. It's May. May 16th, 2011. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar, uh, in some cases holding on by a, a telephonic thread, but we're, uh, we're making it work so far, are three of my good friends. First of all, Dave Higdon's out there talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Evening, David. How are you doing tonight? Uh, doing just lovely. Uh, nice, productive day. Had a decent weekend first weekend that i can remember in a long time where my butt didn't see the work computer for a minute all weekend nothing but outdoor stuff went to the airport hung out listened to listen to tales of mystery and imagination about flight most of them lies but it was great fun that sounds good. Although the image of your butt seeing the computer is just too much for me. I'm going to have to pass on that one. I, that, 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 I'm hoping that that contributes to discouraging this ever going to a video program. I was going to say, that's pretty discouraging to me. <laughs> yeah. And also out there is... Uh, it's, all, it's all I need to know, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. TMI, TMI. Jeb Burnside's out there, too. He's talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How are you doing this evening, Jeb? I, I've been better. I've been worse. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, internet connection's kind of giving me uh, um, fits. It, it sounds okay so far. Cross our fingers, knock on wood, well, you know, all those kinds of good you're things. Not, you're not listening to it on my end. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, well, okay. Well, sorry about that. It's, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's hanging in there so far. You're going to get your fiber one of these days, though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Two or three years from now. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, similar weekend as Dave's. Uh, got some things accomplished and uh, um, didn't do a whole lot of work over the weekend, and all that's very, very good. So. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, you were talking about how you were going to send your airplane into the shop. Did that ever happen? It has not. It's still on my list of things to do. Um, uh, life and some other things have intervened, but uh, um, might get done this week. I doubt it. It might get done next week. I doubt it. It probably won't get done until. Uh, uh, after early June, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just for logistics reasons. And also out there tonight is uh, Amy Loboda, who's talking to us from just up the street from Fort Myers, Florida. Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm doing terrific. Doing terrific. It was a very productive day. Jeb, did you notice the change in the air? Yeah. Did you get outside today? We, was it not out, the most astonishing today. May Day? We don't get a lot of cool Last air week, here. Uh, now, last week here, I'm sure it was the same down in Fort Myers, was 90s and, and a little bit of humidity and uh, running the air conditioner and all this kind of thing. And um, was it, I guess it was uh, Sunday night. Um, cold front came through and a little bit of rain. And uh, 
Uh, I guess it was Saturday night. I don't remember. Uh, well, there was a little rain Saturday night and Sunday, you know? Saturday and Sunday, that's right. It was kind of cool Saturday night. Um, and then this cold front comes through, and it's like, wow, you know, it's back to um, 80, 83. Oh, yeah, know, early March weather. It was great. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's, it's cooled down. It's 80. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, trust us on this. Yeah, it won't okay. happen again until October. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, maybe. We'll yeah, so but it's things. been really fine flying weather. Uh huh. Yeah. I have to tell you. Have you? Have you? Uh, let me come back to that one second. And I'm yeah. Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in uh, rainy, nowhere near 80 degrees, Nottingham, New Hampshire. I'm going to post a picture. Real. Everybody keeps asking me for a picture of Lookout Point, and uh, now we're back to the right time of year for me to take such a picture. So, uh, watch the blog. I'll post a picture one of these days. Uh oh. Um, Amy, what did well, you, you just say? You that had I, some, Go ahead, you Jeb. Had some from late last year and earlier this year that I thought were descriptive, um, that were, you know kind of showed some details and showed some of the um, the transition of season, shall we say? Yes, yes. Uh, why not post that? Well, I, I guess I could post those. Um, those are pictures that I I think the ones you're referring to are a couple of pictures that I took from Lookout Point, looking out into the world, you know, to our, our lake and so forth. Um, and, and those are nice pictures, too, but people want to see Lookout Point, so I have to go out onto the lake in order to take a picture back of Lookout Point, and that's what I'm going to do sometime. Uh-huh. At one point, it would have been a lot easier to do that. But then there would have been ice and snow in the picture, and we don't encourage that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so, anyways. All right, moving on. Let's talk about aviation. Let's talk about aviation here. Uh, David, you put this on the list. Um, I, I, is this just your kind of routine, um, you know, s- uh, call out to call back um, to uh, tout this great publication? Or was there some particular stories in there that you wanted to refer to? Well, I, I think callback's always worth drawing attention to and saying, take 10 minutes and read what they did this month. Uh this one uh, was was of particular interest to me because it's so many little mental errors that went into this month's edition and uh, across different lines. And I thought, you know, that's where we seem to suffer, suffer our worst issues as, uh, uh, as aviation practitioners anyway, is, is the mistakes we made in, in our, making our mental processes. So that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, we, we could do whole episodes just talking about the stories that are covered in uh, in an issue of callback, but uh, but uh, it's something that people should definitely be reminded of to go check out from time to time. Um, this this issue in particular talked about how rushing things or distractions in in what you're supposed to be doing can lead to simple little mistakes that you don't realize until the come back and bite, bite, bite you on the wheel bearing or yeah, something. Yeah. As they say, fly the airplane. Well, subtle little things. You yeah. forget to turn off the boost pump on climb out on an airplane that's got a boost pump and it's on the checklist, and you can't figure out why your fuel flow doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, you know, as you're starting to lean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Go ahead, Jeb. I'm sorry. Or, or you, as I say, you dry on the engine out in the same bargain. Uh, yeah. Forgetting to turn off the uh, the, the boost. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 here's a here's a you know a mental uh, breaking of wind. Um, 
Um, the guy sets the wrong uh, wrong altitude in his uh, in his uh, autopilot. Um, just just the little stuff that'll get you bite you hard sometimes, especially if you know you're descending. Um, and I've seen it happen. I've done it myself. Um, um, for example, you're descending into uh, into your destination, and uh, you set the little numbers into the autopilot, and you push descend, and the airplane starts descending, and you're doing something else. You're folding a chart. You're finding a chart. You're talking to ATC, and all of a sudden, not only do you discover that you're through your altitude, but the autopilot kicked off about 10 minutes ago. For some reason or another, mm-hmm. you're just making you're making a long dark kind of thing. Yeah, maybe it's time to you know um, recover this. Um, little stuff like that happen. Yeah, the mechanic uh, um, um, uh, reassembled a, a the main gear strut on a Boeing 767 incorrectly. Oops, hate it when that uh, happens. And and you know the gear got jammed up. The crew was successful in getting it down. I'd like to hear that story, um, but um, uh, that's that's a major issue. Uh, little things sometimes add up to a great big deal. Yeah. So check out callback. Uh, let's see now here. I'm trying to figure out if this is good. The URL is a little tough to do, but it's. Uh, I'm sure if you do a Google search for callback uh, FAA or something or callback no, 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 no. callback NASA, do. right? NASA A NASA ASRS ASRS, which yeah. is yeah yeah Aviation Safety Reporting System. Yeah, there we go. Okay, moving on here. Let's see now. What's next here? Um, so is this a, are we worried about the fact that the US Forestry Service is going to prohibit flying over national parks? Yeah. Well, we we are if you use those airstrips in those national parks. Yeah. Heck yeah. David well, not only if you use those airstrips, but if you're motoring through the area and you would like to be something of an aerial tourist and 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 it must be said here that tourist cruising overhead slowly to enjoy the scenery don't leave any footprints they don't leave any trash they don't you know they don't tear up the grounds and they don't cut down trees or anything they just cruise over uh so yeah the 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 idea that the uh the folks that arrive by other motor vehicles to use these areas somehow should have uh some say over people arriving by airplane to use these areas, I think is a, is a serious concern. But airplanes are noisy and, and pollute the air. And they're there and then they're gone. And I guarantee you, unless they come in by horseback, that is arrive at the park or the, or, or the wilderness area or a hitchhike, even then somebody's burning pet petroleum fuel somewhere. Yeah, Jeb. I, I'm I'm staying out of this one. Oh, okay. No kidding, really. Um, no, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, no. You're talking about, um, um, you know, nasty, dirty airplanes and and whatnot. I was going to add unsafe and and all that kind of thing. But uh, uh, no, Dave's absolutely right. Um, it's it's funny, you know. We, there's nothing ever really new under the sun anymore. Uh, years ago, we got into this kind of a thing over the Grand Canyon, and um, thing of it is, for a lot of people, uh, an airplane or a helicopter is the only way they can really see the Grand Canyon. 
they don't have the stamina or the uh, or the, uh, the the they're not healthy enough to go Maybe they don't have time uh, to drive out and, and you know, go to the rim or something like that. Uh, they certainly don't have the ability to, to hike up and down some of the trails. You can't see the entire canyon uh, you know, from one single vantage point anyway. So in, in trying to ban uh, uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, people back in, I guess it was the 80s, I guess it was, uh, started trying to ban overflights of the Grand Canyon. And in doing that, they actually started up a brand new industry, which um, um, is still out there. And, and they um, used um, regular, regular, regularly scheduled tours coming out of um, either McCarran or North Las Vegas Airport by both helicopter and uh, fixed-wing aircraft, um, flying over certain areas of the canyon at certain altitudes. And it's it's safe. It's it's. I'm not aware of any any. Uh, Accidents associated with within the canyon, um, <clears throat> and it gives people the ability to, to see things they would not have otherwise been able to see. The same is true <clears throat> for uh, overflights of, of National Forest Service land. Um, it um, doesn't make any sense to try to ban this when you've got you know motorcycles and cars and diesels and all this other stuff. You know, uh, snowmobiles, whatever. Running up and down through all these all these public lands all at the same time. Um, I don't know anything about this specific proposal, but I see the Recreational Aviation Foundation is on the case too. Yeah, and I, and I was going to mention them. The you know in addition to the more well known everyday alphabet aviation groups, um, this one seems to be doing some good work. The so called RAF or, the, or like you said, the Recreational Aviation Foundation is another nonprofit that focuses on on protecting. Uh, these uh, these uh, backwoods, if you will, uh, mountain strips, private strips, and they've been doing some great things. I actually uh, joined the organization a couple summers or springs ago at, at Sun and Fun, and uh, prim- it's primarily an organization that I think is active out in the West and the Rocky Mountains and Montana and Idaho and those kinds of areas. But there's a, a growing uh, chapter, if you will, here in New England that's uh, trying to uh, preserve uh, runways out in the middle of nowhere up in northern New Hampshire and, and Vermont and Maine and that kind of thing. And uh, so um, one way uh, listeners might uh, go about uh, trying to uh, to help out with this kind of thing is to join organizations like the RAF, the Recreational Aviation Foundation, or contact your elected representatives about it as well. Ooh, and if you, if you go to the uh, page that we've got the link for here, there's another link where you can go look at the proposed rule and comment on it. And, you know, that's within the rights of all of us, pilot, non-pilot, to look at these proposals and say, yeah, but, or, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, encourage you to, to, to lend your voice to that. Uh, I mean, these aren't folks that are flying in and flying low and ripping around over the skies to, to, to play tourists. For one thing, that's not really what they want to do. They fly into these strips. They set up camp. They hike and fish and walk the, 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 the wilderness country like people who arrive by other means. They just happen to do it in a much more limited uh, piece of real estate. So, Yeah, yeah. Um, 
we're looking at a story from Flying Magazine's uh, website, and uh, we will put a link to that uh, in the show notes. Show notes, but the headline is "New USFS Recreational Rule Up for Comment." And uh, it's by our old friend Pia Bergfist. Uh, I don't know Pia. Do you who tell who is Pia? Pia is a lovely young lady who used to. Uh, well, she used to work for what was it, plane and pilot, and then she came to. Wichita here for a while and uh, demoed uh, the uh, erstwhile Columbia 400 airplanes. Yep, uh, Cessna Cessna. 400. She was on the sales team here. Then she went back to California and now she's uh, working for flying. So, oh, okay. Yeah, show notes. Uh, we'll have a link for that. Uh, and uh, we might even put this in the blog. I'm not sure. Anyways. What's next here? So here's a story, and, and this is sort of not really a story, but it's kind of a story. And uh, I, I just, this is not an aviation story, all right? This is a ground-based people driving their cars using a GPS, like a Garmin Nuvi or something like that. Um, and we've talked about this in, in recent episodes. I, did we? I don't think we did. Yeah. Did we talk about the fact that the uh, that the, the uh, that some branches of the federal government are saying that GPS is unreliable? That's the point about the story that I found interesting. Okay. All right, m- 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 go right ahead. Yeah. Um, so uh, travelers warned not to rely only on GPS. This is from Yahoo News. It's a Reuters story. All right. Um, so what happened was this couple was on some sort of traveling vacation and they were using their GPS to uh, find their way through some very remote parts of the country. And uh, they got okay. they got badly lost and had to be rescued. All right. And this resulted in the. Um, the Okay, uh, Death okay. Valley National Park. This is very different than the GPS itself not being. And that's what I wanted to call attention to very quickly. Yeah. I want to say that these kinds of stories are not really, they're kind of lumping GPS into this category, all right? They're not really criticizing GPS technology. What they're criticizing is the the databases and the maps that are built into yeah. some of these, uh, I don't know, you know, consumer uh, devices. Because that's what happened here. It wasn't that the GPS failed. It was that the database that these folks were relying on, you know, seemed to have but roads wasn't, on it. Wasn't up to speed with Death Valley. Right, right. So anyways, I guess the main thing I want to just say here is if you hear people saying oh no the national park service says gps is no good to remind them they're not saying gps is no good they're saying the gps databases are questionable sometimes particularly when you get into remote areas yeah um, if you're using gps name next to a light squared station then that in fact may be a problem with the gps yeah, I know. <laughs> that's yeah. a issue I don't know if it's on the list, but I saw a story sometime recently about a big test that they're about to run out in where Nevada or something like that near, near uh, Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah where uh, they're gonna they're gonna fire up one of these these uh, these uh, new technology cell phone towers to see how much it really does uh, affect GPS. I, I'm a little suspicious of the whole thing. I'm not sure why why uh, what do they call light square light speed um, ought to be the light ones square light square light square. Why are they the ones? ones running the test i'm not sure if they're going to be really all that doing it at like 3 a.m you know yeah so uh, valley near las vegas yeah but they've but there's a i don't know if it's a formal notum but there was some sort of notice that went out saying if you're in this area at this time use caution because uh, gps may be be unreliable or unavailable or whatnot but uh, anyways yeah that's the flight level four zero zero 
So that's pretty altitude inclusive for most of the folks that be flying anything that you know we we tend to talk about. Yeah. Jeb, you put a uh, story on the list. You proposed it as a possible off-field landing of the week. This is a uh, <laughs> Toronto, and I'm not. I haven't read the story. Why? What's What's notable about this? You You kind of laughed just now. Re- reading the whole thing all the way through. Uh, 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 let me wait a little. Wait a second. I didn't load the right page. This is from uh, the uh, the Toronto Sun, uh, presumably Toronto, Canada. Uh, headline: Plane crash lands behind high school. And it's the first graph is yeah. a 23 year old pilot was forced to make an emergency landing in a field behind a Burlington uh, high school. Carrying three. Go ahead, Jeb. Yeah, and, and I just I just saw that one of the paragraphs in here. Dozens of students were out playing soccer in the field, as well as those participating in a Walk for Jesus event. Saw the plane come over their heads, and I just thought, you know, where would Jesus crash land? <laughs> I see. So uh, this guy, uh, from the looks of the picture, uh, it was a little bit of a rugged landing, but the gear's all still in place. And uh, gears are still there. The wings are still there. The tail's still there. Yeah. Um, flaps are down. Uh, the prop's still on it. Even the even the elevators are still pitched up. Yeah. No, he did a great pitched job. Up. Yeah. 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 So I'm not seeing the name of the pilot here. But uh, you just keep referring to this person as a 23-year-old pilot. Um, in any event, congratulations, this person, for a successful off-field landing. And uh, uh, yeah, that actually looks, you know, like it's in flyaway condition. Maybe not in a flyaway location, right? But right. looks like it held up pretty well. At least what we can see in the photo. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of uh, bits here. Let's see now. First of all, I, don't, I think it was like two weeks ago, maybe when you were with us, Amy, last time, we were talking about the uh, California helicopter rescue, the guy and his yeah. dog. Did uh, I did I actually allow you to do that? Did I allow you mm-hmm. to say where, that Mount Tam was, was near San Jose? You did, because I kept, you know, with great authority, talking about Mount Tam being the mountain down near San Jose and talking about the the you know steep rise in elevation and whatnot and uh, a listener uh, uh, contacted me by way of twitter and said no 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 mount tam's not down near san jose mount tam is up north of san francisco and of course that listener is absolutely right um the uh, the mountain i was thinking of was mount hamilton um which in my defense some people i've heard refer to it as mount ham um but uh, <laughs> That's no good. That's no good excuse. Oh, uh, okay. My excuse Mount, is I, I was really polite. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, we know about Mount Ham. What about it's Mount right Ham? Next, right next to Eggs Peak. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so Mount Tamalpais. And, and it's near the Green Valley. Yeah. I will oh, not eat why? them on a train. I will not eat them on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> I will not eat them on a bus. <laughs> I will not eat them in a fuss. Yeah. I will not share them with all of us. <laughs> there's, a, there's an episode title in there someplace. I'll have to find it later on. Um, <laughs> Doctor Zeus goes to the hospital. Yeah, right. we uh, we heard from uh, our new friend Howie Marlin at the Katema uh, Airfield in Martha's Vineyard, uh, and uh, I sort of 
just barely touched on my annual rant about the president visiting Martha's Vineyard and shutting down all the general aviation on the island. And uh, Howie posted a, a, a piece in the, uh, in the forums, uh, the UCAP forums, where he talks a little bit about the actual details of the deal that they've worked out and the arrangement they have and how the, the TFR does not completely shut down this biplane sightseeing operation. And, uh, Are you talking about Howie's post? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so I just wanted to call people's attention to this. Um, I, I, it was very uh, kind of him and informative of him to uh, fill me in. Um, I, it still seems to me like there's a lot more restriction of GA going on here that really, than really the situation merits, but anyways. Um, it's not a stone-cold, sorry, you're closed down, nothing moves uh, like it used to be. Yeah, let's just wander into this particular area that is incredibly tourism dependent on the two busiest weeks of this of the year, tourism-wise, and tell them that they have to only do half of what they normally do. Uh, see, I got, I got started again. That's all. Uh, check out the forums uh, for uh, Howie's uh, uh, posting. We'll put a link in the show notes, or you can find it. There's a thread in the forums called Loss of Separation. That's the uh, from the, the uh, thread that's about episode 234. Yeah, and, I'm not uh, sure the next post is really... Yeah, the a next post. Loss. The next post is is a different subject altogether. They're kind of weaving these together, and we won't go into the next post right now. But anyways, anyways, what's next here? Let's see now, David. You asked me to make sure I left this uh, item about the pilot who knowingly flew with mechanical issues, and you wanted to make sure that I left this on the list because you wanted to talk about it. What's your thing here? I got to look at it and remind myself. This is a story from the GA News uh, website, headline, Pilot Knowingly Flies with Mechanical Issues. Um, it's apparently an accident report, a Piper Cherokee, uh, that had some problems. Uh, the aircraft was substantially damaged, but there were no injuries. Um, yeah, this is ah. about a two-year-old accident. Yeah. And uh, the pilot bought the airplane, seller reported an oil leak. And it was noted during the pre-buy. The mechanic who inspected it at the pre-buy reported that two cylinders were leaking oil. The seller installed cylinders as part of a major that occurred about 131 hours before the accident. Uh, and then the, the pilot who bought the airplane, knowing that it had these issues, uh, decided to fly it uh, on a fairly lengthy cross-country before dealing with it. And about two hours into the flight, uh, the engine quit. I think it basically self-destructed in flight. Uh, the number three cylinder separating. I mean, that would kind of hamper the compression. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Not to mention the balance thing with that cylinder banging around back and forth. Uh, and... It, I was, I, I was at the time I put this on the list. I'm thinking maybe you guys can explain. Maybe maybe anybody out there can explain to me what has to go through your mind for you to take off in an airplane that's so obviously leaking oil around the base of two cylinders without doing something to resolve that first. Well, I mean, it's well, not like he was positioning it at 15 minutes away. Right. The failure happened two hours. 
into the flight. Yeah. Well, let me let me ask a question here because uh, though none of us here are 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 airplane mechanics, um, uh, both both Amy and Jeb, you guys are both married to A and P's. I am going to hurt you, and I know someone else is going to hurt you. Anyways, um, so uh, both of you are very, very close with uh, A&P Jeb, Jeb, I just want to know, should I send Lee a card as the bride or the groom? I just want to know. <laughs> All right, we're going, that's as far as we're going with that whole subject. Um, all kidding aside, so you guys are very familiar with uh, with the issues and with the whole subject of, uh, of aircraft maintenance. Um, how careful are they? So you hear from time to time about people getting ferry permits so that they can move an airplane that's not officially, I don't know, airworthy. Would that be the right term? Um, how strict are they? How careful are they about making sure the airplane is going to be able to make it? Um, or is it just a, a you know, kind of a... Uh-huh. Yeah. What? Purchase doesn't tell you whether it's going to make it. It tells you what's screwed up. Well, and I'm not talking about this particular instance specifically. I'm talking in general about this whole three or four years here all of a sudden. Yeah. All right. Jeb. Um, Jeb, I know you've flown. I know you flew. um, You flew Katie's airplane when it was still, I think it was still on some sort of ferry permit, right? Different issue. Hang on. One one person at a time. Jeb, you're talking about three or four different things. Yeah. All right. We're, we're talking about three or four different things here. Can okay. anybody hear me? Cause, yeah, I, cause I can hear you now, really Jeb. I can, I can hear you now. Jeb, go ahead. Right. Tell what, what are the important right. things of the first, three or four? First of all, um, it's not at all clear from this, uh, this news item um, where, the, where and how the cylinders were leaking oil. Um, cylinders can leak oil from you know, various places, from the rocker uh, covers, from the push rods, uh, from the base. The base, when they leak oil from the base, that's a bad. That's, that's bad. Leaking oil from the push rods, uh, from, the, from the rocker covers, uh, is, is less bad. Uh, that can be just a bad O-ring. It can be a bad gasket. doesn't mean there's something chronically wrong with the cylinders or the engine. Uh, second thing, um, getting a ferry permit or, or even you know, doing an inspection if you uncover something uh, doesn't mean that um, ferry permits are generally issued when an aircraft is out of, a, a, a Part 91 aircraft is out of annual inspection. Um, right. And they're issued uh, to get the aircraft to a place, to a location where it can be inspected, or it's issued um, because uh, the work can't be accomplished at that location and it needs to go to a specialized shop for, for additional work. There's obviously instances where uh, the IA and the owner disagree on uh, the outcome of the inspection, and uh, uh, you know mayhem ensues, and that's why you need a ferry permit. Also, um, things like that are, are the reasons we get ferry permits. Um, I flew uh, Katie's airplane after it had been annualed, and in fact, it it um, had been it was annualed before it ever flew over here, I believe. Um, now the annual. Um, inspection to make sure that you know everything was there uh we noted some discrepancies uh discrepancies uh that were not uh airworthiness items uh the discrepancies were resolved after it was after it was flown over here um i the only other thing going on here is is pre-buys are not well defined they're certainly not defined in the fars 
No, they're um, they're pre-buy is, is, is what you make of it. If you want to do an annual inspection as a pre-buy, that's great. If you want to disassemble the entire airplane and put it back together as a pre-buy inspection, that's fine, too. And, and the other extreme, of course, is, is either not doing one or doing a, a, a pre-flight as a pre-buy. Um, a simple oil leak on, on a cylinder or two cylinders um, doesn't, I, and I've, my cylinders have leaked oil. And I look at them and I say, well, where is this coming from? Why is it here? Um, um, how much oil is there? And knowing the airplane, uh, it's, if it's a trace of oil, I'm not worried about it. I'll make a note of it. I'll bring it to the attention of my maintenance director, as it were, um, and um, we'll address it at the next opportunity. If it's uh, you know a gaping hole in the crankcase and oil is gushing out, that's a different problem. Um, but uh, in this particular instance, would I have flown this airplane? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, de- it depends on what the mechanic told me. It depends on what my eyeball told me. It depends on where the oil was coming from. If the oil was, in fact, before this, the accident flight, if there was indeed oil leaking at the base of the cylinder, very bad thing. Very bad, 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 bad. And uh, no, I probably would not have flown that airplane, at yeah. least without you know, someone, someone I trust and respect taking a look at it. Amy, anything you'd like to add to this? Uh, he's absolutely right. And, and the one thing I wanted to emphasize was that if there are discrepancies that can't be resolved on site, they they may or may not be things that keep the airplane from flying, but after an annual and exactly. you haven't haven't addressed the discrepancies, that would cause you to need a ferry permit too. Mm-hmm. So they may, again, um, there are so many different reasons why you might need a ferry permit. I've seen it happen where um, the airplane just needed a battery but couldn't get that kind of a battery right. where they were. Mm-hmm. So it was a function of of energizing the system, getting everything up and running, and getting the airplane to the place where it could then shut down and get a battery. Got but yep. you know, if it's a re- you know if it's if it's a required piece of equipment, <laughs> or it's yeah, on it, the list. It's right. If it's a required piece of equipment and it's either not present or not functioning, then you need a um, uh, a ferry permit. Yeah. Um, if it's not required and it's still not working, uh, it's kind of a judgment call. It depends on the operation uh, as to whether or not a ferry permit or, or even a discrepancy uh, list is, is necessary for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it gets complicated because mm-hmm. these Very minimum good. equipment lists and these equipment lists that are in the back of the pilot's operating handbook – there, a lot of that stuff is is more open to interpretation than you think. And who? Go ahead, Jeb. Even if even there is a list in the back of the uh, uh, some some of these old airplanes don't have uh, yeah. that kind of an equipment list in the back, and uh, it becomes a matter of okay, look, is this is this aircraft capable of uh, legal day VFR? Uh, and if so, okay. Um, then you know, do we have all the equipment? You know, do we have all the equipment required under the FARs for for day VFR? If so, uh, if it's out of annual, then yeah, ferry. If it's in annual, then we can still go fly. Mm-hmm. David, you want to wrap this thing up? 
Well, it just it, it struck me because I looked up more of the report and I didn't put plug that leak uh, that link in, but the 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 way that it played to me was that this guy looked at the oil leaks, looked what the pre-purchase said, and decided not to pursue what the problem was mm-hmm. until he got back to where he was going, which was a considerable plight. Because this didn't happen until he was two hours into the flight. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to, well, oh, can you tell me where the leak's coming from? Because there's really only three, there are three places where a cylinder is going to leak oil. Right. The most common ones around the rocker covers. I mean, we've all seen that. And, you know, you tighten the rocker covers down or you replace the gaskets and they're good. The other two places are where the head mates to the cylinder which on these kind of engines is really distressing because the head is threaded onto the cylinder under really extreme conditions with one really hot and the other one really cold so that when they equalize, you're, you're not going to get them loose again. And at the base of the cylinder. And if it's leaking from anywhere other than a rocker cover, that, t- to me, the, the way I was raised in airplanes... The, Leaking around a rocker cover, yeah, okay. You make sure the nuts are tight, and you put a new gasket on the list for the next time you change oil or have an annual. If it's leaking around where the head mates to the barrel or around the base of the cylinder, that's one of those, uh, dude, wake the frack up. Uh, it's never supposed to leak around those. Never. Yeah, yeah. okay. Interesting stuff. I, I this and Don't fly an airplane without knowing what the frack's wrong with it. Yeah, that's right. Probably good advice. We talked uh, last week or the week before about uh, the Air France 447 and how they had finally recovered the uh, the recorders. And uh, we were wondering now the next question is whether or not they're going to be able to recover anything from these recorders. Uh, two pieces of news, one from either like earlier today or yesterday, a story in the Wall Street Journal uh, talking about the fact that they were, in fact, able to download all of the data. That's a sort of a quote. I'm not sure what all the data means, um, but it was very positive report that they had managed to uh, to uh, extract data out of both of these recorders and they were very very optimistic about the whole thing and they expected it would take a few days to uh, to uh, wade through all this information before they even had preliminary uh, reports then late today we saw a story um at least I think we saw a story. Yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> yeah. There's a story in uh, in the French language uh, website, uh, Le Figaro, uh, that is in French. So I don't know exactly what it says. but oh, uh, I do. But uh, the headline translates, according to Google Translate, the headline translates to Airbus exonerated by the black boxes. Amy, do you speak, do you read French? I do read French, and actually, us, it's more of a question mark, uh, okay. which is what you're losing um, with Google Translate. Can you um, can you give us the executive summary here of the story? Yeah, the exec the executive sum summary is that the black boxes have been found. The black boxes can be in in interpolated the information in them, um, and they're asking the question. Is it going to be an operational error of Air France, which means the responsibility of, of um, the pilots or the the protocol or the way that Air France handled it? 
um, or is it going to be the responsibility of Airbus is the question that the the um, cockpit voice recorder and the black boxes are going the data flight recorder are going to answer oh okay so, so this story is so it, it backs up what the Wall Street Journal says but it's still asking the question um, uh, okay. it's the, it, it states that it is astounding um, that in just six weeks from finding the wreck in 4,000 meters of water they've been able to locate these black boxes and actually get information off of them. Oh, that's really, for sure. I mean, we're talking about something the size of a soda can here. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, and and in, so in one instance, the memory module was locked, knocked loose from the uh, the flight data recorder, and um, it's basically the size of a soda can. And they found that under more than twelve thousand feet of water. Yeah. Um, and and we not only found it, retrieved it, transported it to Paris or Toulouse or wherever. And um, according to uh, news reports coming out uh, uh, earlier today, this is from uh, CNN, mm-hmm. uh, not only have they uh, um, well, lead, the lead paragraph, I'll just read that real quick. Investigators trying to determine why an Air France plane crashed mysteriously two years ago have recovered the complete contents of the flight data recorder and the last two hours of cockpit conversation they announced Monday. Uh, that's quite quite a, an achievement. Yeah, and uh, we've we yeah. talked about this a lot here the, over the last couple of years, um, but uh, most recently, the last couple of weeks, um, they found uh, the wreckage on the on the ocean floor. Um, they have they found the CVR and FDR uh, equipment. Um, the FDR was in a couple of pieces. Uh, they retrieved all of that, um, and uh, now they've they've read out the memory. Um, I might, kind of made a half half hearted joke earlier. Uh, uh, we we should be shorting Airbus and going long on Honeywell. Honeywell manufactured the uh, the CVR and FDR equipment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but um, uh, it'll be you know the anniversary of this crash uh, was early morning, June one near the equator over the over the South Atlantic, um, and I suspect on on or about the anniversary two year anniversary of this crash. We'll have some more definitive information. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's it for now. But uh, it is kind of it's going to be fascinating when we get this data and when we kind of get a better, better picture of what happened up there because it's going to be fascinating. Uh, let's see now. Um, so there's a story going out um, a, a, that FAA wants to revamp the uh, pilot training requirements curriculum. Amy, you're the CFI. Well, yeah. What's the deal here? Is this well? This is this is for 121 and 125 ops um, primarily. Although I believe they will probably want to stretch it towards 135. They're trying to trying to absorb 135. And, and for people in, that that you sort of generally characterize those people as airline airline and pilots on demand charter. Okay, and what is on demand? What kind of changes are they spec? You know, asking well, for or talking are, about? They are asking. Um, captains to train about every nine months, which they don't necessarily do right now. And they're asking co-pilots to train up more because they are anticipating that there are some other rules where, you know, this 1,500-hour rule, which is very unpalatable for most regional airlines, which are 121 ops, um, because they could lose a lot of co-pilots, quite frankly. Mm Mm-hmm. They're suddenly no longer qualified to fly for the airline. 
Yeah. What's this new rule? They want, them, they want them It'd to have... It'd be nice if we could do that to members of Congress, yeah. retroactively <laughs> right. change their requirements, well, their training By definition, they're not, any member of Congress is not qualified. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 So, Amy, where does this come from? Where does this come from? This comes from the Coogan crash. It all comes from the Coogan crash. The Coogan, You've got all is- your new fatigue rules, um, and you have these question marks because there were question marks as to whether the pilots were were um were qualified to be flying the airplane there were questions about how the captain had ever made it into the captain's seat uh because he had had a lot of pink slips in the past he had not done particularly well in his check rides mm-hmm. the guy either didn't test well or he didn't fly well Mm-hmm. I can't right. tell you which. Right. So, right. Uh, so they're going. Yep. And they are going to make it um, much easier for airlines who want to hire a pilot to find out whether that pilot's been pink slipped before, and they're making a much bigger deal of that. Used to be, it wasn't that big a deal well, if it you know, like wasn't something you did all the time. Yeah. There was a, an accident in the mid-90s. Um, I think it was a um, jet stream. I think it was a jet stream 41 crashed on approach going into Raleigh-Durham. Yep. It was American Eagle flight. I, yeah. And the captain on that flight had a, quote, checkered history of, of training and, and whatnot. Uh, and that begat the Pilots Record Improvement Act, PREA, which um, required... Uh, retain retention and and trading of of training records, as I recall, among 135 and 121 operators uh, when a pilot left one carrier and went to another. Um, this, I don't know what is left to do re- relative to this rule. One of the things that kind of jumped out at me, um, reading uh, the third paragraph in this story, was quote. Uh, the pilots, referring to the pilots, they would have to be familiar with the stall recovery equipment in the planes they fly, which the crew of Flight 3407 was not. Right. I find that highly suspect, a highly suspect statement. Um, in what way? Well, well we, we know they how, were familiar how, how, with it. Yeah. Jeb, go how, ahead. How can they not be familiar with this? How could they not be familiar with the stall recovery equipment in the planes they fly? You'd think. Uh, uh, these guys typerated in the aircraft. It's a it's a it's a heavy. It's a large airplane. It's a twin turboprop. I don't know what the gross weight is. Maybe thirty thousand pounds. Uh, it's, he's got to have a typerating for the aircraft. Uh, putting all that that aside, um, stall recovery in that airplane is the same as the stall recovery in just about any other airplane. You push the nose over. You 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 pull some power. You get some power up, and you recover from the the low airspeed. Yeah, but didn't that airplane have some sort of weird reputation about some sort of tail stall thing? Or? Well, that's that's part of the uh, the overall question here as to why uh, the aircraft stalled in the first place and why the pilot's reaction was what it was. T tail airplanes, um, at which this Dash Eight was. Uh, are more susceptible to tailplane stalls in icing. And the correct um, maneuver, the correct control input for a tailplane stall uh, is, to, uh, is, is to either retain or to apply uh, nose-up pitch. Right. Okay? In this accident, um, the aircraft stalled its 
you know, you never know what was going through someone's mind, but from the evidence, is it's likely the pilot thought he was experiencing a tailplane stall. Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, if he'd paid attention, I don't know, I say if he'd, all the indications are after the fact that the airplane was too slow. It was, there was some, maybe some ice buildup on the wings and maybe the tail, but the airplane was too slow. It got stick shaker, uh, the stick shaker activated, and that would not normally happen with simply a, with a simple tailplane stall. Right. And don't you think that, that that suspicion that that was what was possibly going through that pilot's mind is what leads to this proposed rule that they know about the stall characteristics? I think, I don't, I'm don't. i not sure that that's what we're talking about. I think we're talking apples and, and oranges. Okay. I um, think he's right. I, I agree with stall, you, Jeff. Stall recovery equipment in the planes they fly, which is the way this story reads, um, is, is kind of a nonsensical phrase. Um, the, the difference between a uh, recovering from a stall... Uh, a normal wing stall in, in just about any airplane versus recovering from a tailplane stall on a T-tail airplane is something that should be trained. There's no question about that. Yeah. And it's, it's not clear to me if um, um, there was a lack of tailplane training stall, uh, tails, let me rephrase it, if there was a lack of um, tailplane stall training for this captain or if if it was simply a matter of he understood through some training or some maybe extracurricular reading that a tailplane stall is recoverable, we recover from a tailplane stall by increasing uh, uh, nose up pitch authority. Um, regardless of which, he reacted incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's a matter of training, whether that's a matter of his, his immediate perception of what the problem was, whether that's a matter of there not being, quote, stall recovery equipment in the plane, uh, unquote, I don't know. And, and we don't have, I don't, I'm not sure there is a final um, um, uh, probable cause statement in this accident yet. Uh, let me go look real quick. While you're looking at that, let me ask this question. Do we fear, think, whatever, that these new proposed FAA training requirements are going to trickle down to GA pilots? Yeah. You don't think so? No. No, I think what's about to happen to GA pilots is the FAA is 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 finally going to wake up and and catch up on its training standards and its testing standards to comport with what we're flying these days. Well, I uh, agree with you. I agree with you completely, Dave. And Amy, when you say you agree, you agree that they're going to or you agree that they should? I agree that that they are both going to and should. Mm-hmm. We fly very different airplanes from the ones they test, and they've already started. Though they've done it in stealth mode, which has really annoyed the crap out of people, um, they've changed the test questions. And suddenly the pass rate, uh, without releasing the change, uh, the pass-fail rate went to 50%. Yeah, I heard about this. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and, and I, I, I dug up... A uh, a uh, what you need to do to learn to fly guidance document from the FAA. I'm sorry, I don't have the link handy here. Is it better uh, than the week, than week the and a half com thing we did last? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I went through. I, I looked it up, but it was 
kind of contributing to some research on a, on a project I'm working on. And it was last updated 15 years ago. Yeah, so, that's a long time ago, flight training That's a wise. long time ago. For example, the thing that jumped out at me first was there was nothing in there about flying WAS approaches, LPV approaches, uh, about using that kind of GPS in the navigation environment in some of the ways that that's become much easier and much more pronounced, not to mention dominant. Uh, second was, very early in this document, it was talking about, here are the things that you need if you're going to become a pilot. A medical certificate. Eh. Not necessarily. Well, yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, yeah, but... But what we've had, we've had the sport pilot ticket for what going on six years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, six years and the light sport aircraft segment, six years, and this how to you know things that you need to do if you want to become an FAA certificated pilot doesn't fracking mention any of this anywhere. Uh, okay, that's a good point. That's a and, good point. And you kind of sit back and go, now I knew bureaucracies were slow. I knew that they were sometimes dumb because there's a collective learning curve that has to occur. But I didn't know that they were so completely deaf, dumb, and blind that they didn't notice that their own people had missed a whole new category of flying. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, they, 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 they have missed the this handbook is part of the problem. They have actually changed quite a few of the ACs of the, um, and, and they've added technically advanced equipment, et cetera, et cetera, in there. But I agree with you completely. They have not even come close to, to rewriting everything out there. Yeah. Jeb, you were going to jump in there, and then we're going to move on. The probable cause statement on this, uh, on this Dash 8 accident, the, uh, the Colgan uh, accident up in Buffalo in February of nine is out, and I'll read it. Yes. Uh, the, the National Transportation Safety Board determines the probable causes of this accident as follows. The captain's inappropriate response to the activation of the stick shaker which led to an aerodynamic stall from which the airplane did not recover. Contributing to the accident were, one, the flight crew's failure to monitor airspeed in relation to the rising position of the low-speed queue. That's flight director uh, nomenclature. Two, the flight crew's failure to adhere to sterile cockpit procedures. Mm-hmm. Three, the captain's failure to effectively manage the flight. And four, Colgan Air's inadequate procedures for airspeed selection and management during approaches in icing conditions. Um, that pretty much says it, dude. That pretty much it's says a, it. And I'm now, astounded that fatigue wasn't in there anywhere. Yeah, yeah You know, too. that's a funny thing. That was part of the narrative in the investigation was addressing the, uh, uh, the, the travel schedule of those two people and what they'd been through prior to that flying that shift. Uh, and there were a lot of people that thought that that should have been pushed up higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, the debate among the board members and some of the professional staff on whether that fatigue might have contributed to the pilot doing something wrong just because he was tired lost out to him doing it wrong because he wasn't trained to do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we need to move on here. There's two more sub, two, uh, two or three more subjects here I want to touch on before we wrap this thing up. Um, so, uh, 
a weird a weird crash down near Tampa about maybe a week or two ago. Um, this is uh, the story we're looking at is from TBO.com, Tampa Bay Online. Um, and and let me preface this by saying that uh, um, this is a funny story. This is a weird story, and I don't mean to make light of it. It's, it's, in, not, it's not funny, haha. It's funny, weird. It is weird, it's, and it's a little. It might be a bit graphic. Yeah, and and just I mean, first of all, out of a due respect, uh, uh, this pilot lost his life uh, in the crash, and and that's very sad. And and our our, you know, our heart goes out to he and his family. Um, but the circumstances of his death and of this crash are kind of odd. And uh, have we seen any more writing about this or would you just have this one story still to rely on? I, I have not. This is the, <clears throat> the only, excuse me, the only story I've seen on this. Uh, I'm going to go back to the NTSB here. Uh, see if you can find that. And let me see if I can relate that. Plus it's complicated by the fact that the story in TBO.com uh, is kind of oddly written and it's kind of hard to read and piece it all together here. But as near as I can tell, and guys correct me if I'm, if I get any of this wrong here, but uh, this guy was flying a, uh, a, uh, I don't know if it was a Piper sport or if it was a, uh, well, they call it a Piper sport in the, uh, in the story. Um, and um, it crashed. There were eyewitnesses. The eyewitnesses um, were very nearby when it actually hit the ground. But apparently, the pilot and some of the contents of the airplane came to the ground quite some distance from the wreckage. Uh, I'm looking for the quote here. Half a mile, a quarter of a mile, something like that. Three quarters of a mile. Um, and so there was a lot of speculation as to how this guy got separated from his airplane. Um, some people were speculating that he was trying to jump out of the airplane, um, hmm. either either to save his life or in some sort of bizarre suicide attempt. Or I, it's just a weird story. Uh, Jeb, is there is there NTSB words on it yet? There, <clears throat> there is not a uh, prelim on the NTSB side as of right now. Uh, this um, is this is just weird. The, what, what's pilot, your take on this? The, the, my take on it is is it's weird um, to to kind of describe what what I know about the accident sequence um, based on this this Tampa Bay uh, online story alone. Um, the airplane came down in in um, um, three or four pieces. Um, the pilot was ejected or did not come down with the fuselage. Right. Um, the um, the weather that evening uh, was fairly benign over this area. Um, he was near uh, a major general aviation airport near Tampa, north of Tampa. Um, it looks like uh, he crashed, from what I could tell on Google Maps, looks like he crashed within a mile and a half or so of that airport. Uh, it's just simply a weird kind of thing. Um, the The... Based on, on the evidence from this article, he's, the guy's flying a relatively new Piper Sport Cruiser, um, which is an LSA two-seat uh, airplane with a, uh, I forget what engine it's got in it. He's flying it, and he left actually Fort Myers, uh, Amy. Uh, yeah. Uh, ultimately for uh, somewhere in Illinois, as I recall. Uh, it was late at night. It was around 1130 on a Friday night, um, which in and of itself... Uh, doesn't mean anything, um, and all of a sudden, this this fuselage with a wing attached to it comes down. Um, people in the area start finding other things uh, from the aircraft, including the pilot. 
uh, and the pilot was not with the fuselage. Uh, there was um, uh, his personal belongings, uh, some some charting uh, information, uh, all of this kind of thing. Uh, apparently, part of the one of the wings uh, came down. Um, people were speculating he didn't he'd intentionally bailed out the guy. Actually, uh, reading some subsequent uh, or maybe uh, an edit on this particular article, he was a, he was an avid parachutist. He was a flight instructor. He he was gainfully employed as a flight instructor uh, at a at an FBO in Illinois, um, and um, um, the whole thing's just in, inexplicable. Airplanes just don't normally come apart uh, for no good reason. Yeah, and it's a brand new airplane. Flight. A brand new airplane too. Yeah. Um, so it, it, this one, this one, I think is going to, you know, be. I don't know. Maybe there's a simple explanation. I, th- I saw this, and and I'm still scratching my head. Over yeah. That. Now, in in a story that may only be related because it's the same airplane, basically. Um, but we've got a story here from I believe it's Arlington, Washington. Um, this is we're looking at the Arlington Times, the PNWLocalNews.com website. Uh, one killed in plane crash at Arlington Airport, and in this particular case, we've got literally three paragraphs, um, and one of them is only one sentence. But uh, um, Arlington Police Fire Department respond, responded to a report an airplane crash on the northwest side of Arlington Municipal Airport. Um, upon arrival, crews found a single-engine sport cruiser airplane uh, on fire. Uh, they extinguished the blaze. The pilot was pronounced dead. Um, y- y- now, this is Arlington, Washington. That's what I Arlington, tried to Washington, say. That's right. what I meant to say. I'm not sure what I said. Um, what, um, Jeb, you had a, a, a question that came to your mind yeah. when you saw the story, which was what? Is it just me, or is there my... Is, might there be a wee problem with sport cruisers all of a sudden here? I, I, I don't know. We've got two, and, and two doesn't necessarily a trend two make. Is, two is not a trend and, and whatnot. The, the curious thing is, too, is they, they both apparently was fire involved. Now, the one that we talked about uh, over in north of Tampa, um, some are saying the aircraft was on fire before it hit the ground. Mm-hmm. And yeah. some... Some this also, one looks like it was on fire too. This yeah. one kind of does look like it was on fire before it hit the ground too. Yeah. Uh, it, it would be easy to conclude in the because of the Tampa thing being so weird. It would be uh, easy to conclude that the aircraft caught fire in midair, and um, knowing perhaps that he wasn't going to get out of it anyway, um, the pilot just jumped mm-hmm. to get away from the flames. I mean that that's what World War One pilots did, right? Uh, when their airplanes got shot up and caught fire, and, and this particular pilot was an avid parachutist. Apparently right. He didn't have a parachute. Now, uh, just everyone, listen. We're we're really speculating here. This is just really, we're just really kind of a way on a limb. There's some reason why the guy's body was found a long way from the wreckage. Right? Yeah. So okay. that's uh, not normal. And there's some reason one, why one of the wings was found right. a considerable distance away from the rest of the wreckage. Jeb, you're apparently in the NTSB database right now. Can you do a quick search on Sport Cruiser uh, uh, Piper Sport aircraft? Are, are there? I don't know if I can or not. I don't know that the, the I'll, I'll do Piper. I'm just kind of curious whether there's any 
other incidents. Put in Piper and Sport Cruiser as make and model, nothing comes up. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a model number somewhere in there uh, for the Sport Cruiser, and we'll have to research that. And, yeah. And uh, put in Piper Cruiser, and that's going to be, you know, kind of a different animal. Right. No, no, no. Yeah. Right. Sorry, that's and, right. And, and the check. No records, no records found for that either. Yeah, Sport Cruiser isn't going to work for you. Right. You need it. You didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we should. Yeah, we'll, we'll kind of keep an eye on this, but it's probably yeah, just a coincidence. It, it's it, one one thing too here. This this Arlington, Washington thing. Clearly, the aircraft uh, caught fire at some point. It's 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 impossible to discern from this one photograph whether it was uh, uh, caught fire in the air or caught fire after it crashed. Yeah, I you know. The handful of things that really scare me about flying airplanes and a, fl- a fire in flight is definitely high on the list. Absolutely. Yeah. Nobody likes the smell of burning electrical. Yeah, exactly. Stick. Exactly. When the, when the smoke starts getting out of the wires, yeah. I know. You want to keep that I smoke? I don't even like the smell of it. I hear. I, I smell it. I land. Good for I, you. I, yeah. Figure yeah. it out on the ground. <laughs> That's well, living, living out here, you learn to distinguish very quickly between the smell of an electric system overheating and the smell of farmers burning off their fields mm-hmm. because both will get you smoke in the cockpit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Finally, um so I, I don't quite understand this story, but somebody in California is trying to outlaw outlaw hundred low lead. Does anybody know no 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 what's going on here? They're trying to make money off of suing 50 businesses in California that sell 100 low lead, claiming that they are, what's the word, whistleblowers for outing these companies for selling something in violation of California environmental law, uh, ignoring the fact that the Fed controls uh, aviation and things like aviation fuel. And the organization, the Center for Environmental Health, is been right up front. One of the points to this, they want to send a message about lead in, in aviation gasoline. They don't seem to get the message that it's almost inconsequential how much lead and how much aviation gasoline when you put it all together. But one of the big things is if they win their suit, they're in a position to get a considerable amount of money as the quote-unquote whistleblower. And we're talking seven figures here, kids. This is a money-making opportunity. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, is it going to go anywhere? Or is it, well, it's fed, the feds will, will will overrule this, right? Well, possibly. We, we would we would hope so, uh, but that doesn't mean that a California court won't say, "Oh, yeah, these guys are bad people. They should pay up and move this all thing down the road," uh, even as. General Aviation and all of its supporters and all of its industries are trying to figure out a way to create a substitute for leaded fuel uh, that won't kill people. Right. I mean, is there any chance that some judge is going to uh, issue an order to uh, stop or, pumping or, 100 low lead for even a couple of days? There's always a chance. There's yeah. always a chance. Always well, a chance you just got to get it in front of the right judge. You can get that. Yeah. Okay. Torch 101. Anybody can sue anybody for anything at any time. The success of that suit, well, that depends on the validity of the evidence and the 
the the degree of intelligence of the jurist that hears the case. And when you start talking at local and state levels, that's really up for grabs. If you're an attorney and you've got a button on your computer that says, you know, generate lawsuit to screw such and such an industry, all you got to do is keep pushing that button. Yeah, I know, right, yeah. And, and, and the industry has to defend itself. Yeah. Um, so I was just about to go to shout-outs. I suddenly remembered. Um, Amy, what were you saying earlier about flying kids? Oh, yeah. What'd you do? I just got this lovely email. No, 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 no. We didn't fly anybody. Um, but we did take them out to the international airport. Uh, RSW, and it was not really me. I was really there to cover it. It was Diane Myers, who's the Southwest Airlines captain, who um, does a adopt a pilot deal, which Southwest has, and they bring kids out to the airport and they put them on an airplane and they show them the operations and they take them and show them how the bags get from upstairs downstairs and out to the airplane. I've and wanted to free see of that. charge. Oh, it's so SK. cool! It's 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 it, it, it's great fun. I and there were think sixty. No one really knows. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I do. <laughs> she knows now. She can explain the whole thing to you. I could tell you everything. But what was so fascinating is that with the operations manager, um, this whole group of people, which was like seventy people in the end, we just strode right through the back door. And all the TSA and and Port Authority police we saw, they waved to us as we went in our little, right. you know, yeah. mother hen and duck and little chicklings in a row um, around the the backstage tour. And I found it fascinating. The kids holding. Yeah, right. It, it, yeah. I okay. mean, they were so benign. It was such a benign. It was the way it should be. And yet, to me... Every bone in my body was going, okay, so it's okay for us to do this, but all those poor souls upstairs? I know, yeah. But that's a great you story know? about the, uh, the uh, exposing these kids to that thing. That's, that's great. They, they did. They, they, they did a wonderful job. Southwest Airlines has a Thai development contest yeah. that actually uses children's art now because, you know, they are all allowed to wear different ties. Neckties, you mean. Neckties, yeah. exactly. Yep. And and the company actually picks a winner from this contest now every year of children's art depicting aviation scenes, and um, then they print it up on a tie and they sell it to the pilots as yeah, one of know, the potential ties that they can wear. I, I've said this over the last couple of years since I've been doing so much traveling that Southwest is probably my favorite of all the airlines that I fly these days. And and now here's another example that you just told us about. And in a second, we're going to have a shout out that talks about another example of Southwest being very cool. Um, but uh, yeah, anything else about the ki- the story about the kids or can we move on? No, happy endings. Everybody had a good time. We got to wave at the pilots as they were coming in. And uh it was it was a lovely day at the airport, and the weather was perfect. Cool, cool. Shout-outs. Uh, what do we got here? Um, I'm going to go first. Uh, so, uh, I, Southwest Airlines um, got this press release. What a coincidence. Yeah, I know. <laughs> got this press release the other day, uh, and, and I actually have even more information now. But here's what I got the other day, um, an announcement from EAA and AirVenture that uh, Southwest was sponsoring a uh, the Oshkosh Airshow Sweepstakes, 
where uh, they were going. You can enter to win a round-trip air travel on Southwest Airlines um, to and from Milwaukee uh, and then uh, travel up to Oshkosh. There's also uh, two one-day wristbands to AirVenture and two-night hotel stay. So there's a little sweepstakes here that's, that Southwest is, uh, is sponsoring. And when I first saw this story, I thought this is cool but a little odd that southwest would get involved like this and then i saw a press press release today or yesterday that it turns out that saturday the close towards the end of the week at air venture this year saturday is going to basically be like southwest day at uh, at air venture there's going to be all sorts of activities all day long that are participating in and and sponsored by and southwest is just going to be a big big presence at air venture at least on saturday of uh, of air venture this year and so that's very cool too um i still miss herb kelleher who's her oh yeah who's herb kelleher was great herb was was the the guy at the top for most of southwest's existence Mm -hmm. he was part certainly he was part of the team of executives that founded it endured five years of legal challenges from the likes of American Airlines before oh, they yeah. American didn't a want revenue to do passenger mile and then went on to do these great, great commercials and these great public service spots. Like he would, he would wrestle another airline executive over the rights to use a slogan and he would train by pumping glasses of Jack Daniel, I'm sorry, wild turkey on the rocks. <laughs> really? Well, that's great. That's great. So anyways, you can go to uh, southwest.com slash Oshkosh if you'd like to enter the Oshkosh Air Show sweepstakes. Um, and uh, I'm sure if you go to the airventure.org website, there's information about what Southwest Saturday or whatever it is they're calling it. And uh, that's my well, show. The southwest.com slash Oshkosh page looks suspiciously like an EAA page including a bunch of the photo links there. So, you know, enter in the contest and go look at the photos. Yeah. You can't go wrong there. Who else got a shout-out? David, there's a couple there with your name on them. Uh, To the folks at Toronto airports up in Canada. Uh, They renamed Toronto Island Airport after uh, a uh, war hero, uh, one of Canada's ace pilots, Billy Bishop. Uh, And the it's Toronto. It's Billy Bishop Toronto Island Airport, and it is 100 yards offshore, and has one of the neatest short little ferry rides to and from that you'll ever hmm. get into. But if you're going to fly up from the states, Toronto Island is the neat place to visit. And what what prompted this was a uh, promo from another Toronto airport, Buttonville which is much more convenient than the big international airline airport, Pearson, if you're going downtown to do business. And it struck me, I said, Buttonville still a hell of a lot farther away from downtown the TOI, uh, Toronto Island. Uh, so to the folks up there at Toronto airports, a way to go, you're keeping Billy Bishop Toronto Island Airport alive and viable. Uh, actually, once upon a time, the island was the site of an amusement park and a baseball diamond where Babe Ruth hit his first professional home run. Ooh, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Other shout-outs? Yeah, one real quickly. Go ahead. To Frederick and Garrett Braun 
um, who uh, are, are billed as having made the largest model airport. Uh, this, these are two German twin brothers yeah. um, who have built a model airport uh, covering 150 square meters, costing $4.8 million. How, wait a minute, how much? $4.8 million. Are you sure? I'm, I'm reading from this. This is, There's a link in the notes. There's singularityhub.com is the website. 40,000 lights, 15,000 figurines, 500 cars, 10,000 trees, yeah. 50 trains, da-da-da-da-da. The cars actually move more or less autonomously. There are 40, airplane, uh, 40 airplanes and 90 vehicles move about autonomously. Yeah. There's actually the animated the airplanes take off and land on the model. Take off and land. Uh, one to eight, one eighty uh, seventh scale is the, yeah, the yes, um, um, way that they've done this. They have everything from Airbuses to Cessnas. They have huh. fire trucks. There is a control. Um, uh, visitors can can push buttons, and and um, there's a fire that erupts from a building, and uh, <laughs> the the fire department vehicles all rush to the scene and in all this kind of thing it, 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 it seems some people just have too much time on their hands yeah or too much money is the case or maybe too much money i i would you Goodness know i'd like to be adopted gracious. by these guys i know to, i know to, yeah to work on this but this is from from all the the pictures there's video here also um but um uh there's a website uh, uh for this there's a museum that they've done it I, the whole thing is just incredible, and uh, yeah. hats off, guys. I mean, yeah. you know, there's a video that you can. Yeah. yeah, there's a video. My only thought would be, dude, have you have you ever thought about learning to fly? <laughs> I know, huh? Yeah, really. Amy, you got anything for us? Uh, no, you 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 got what I got. Oh, okay. uh, oh yeah, no, that's not true. I want to put out kudos to uh, aviation supplies and academics for stepping up to the plate. Uh, one of the things that came out of the um, Society of Flight Educators Symposium last week was that um, one of the big problems with standardization of flight instruction is that uh, there are many flight instructors who are not using a syllabus, not giving giving their students an outline of this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. And ASA stepped up to the plate and said, here are PDF syllabi. You can download them. They're free this week yeah. um, to give flight instructors um, what they need to yeah. be giving to their students so that we don't have 75-hour students who have yet to solo and haven't a clue what they've done. Cool. Yeah, very cool. Any other shout-outs? Anybody? We done? I think we're good. From the uh, airventure.org website, uh, they, uh, the, uh, it says, From sunrise to well past sunset, Super Saturday, presented by Southwest Airlines, will be filled with must-see features, attractions, and activities. So uh, it's going to be quite a Saturday uh, at, at, uh, at AirVenture. Hey, at different time, we've got to wrap this thing up. Uh, Amy, uh, nice talking with you again. Uh, Amy Lobota is a freelance aviation writer and the editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine. Amy, where can people find you on the internet? 
at afwdigital.org or wai.org or aviationforwomen.org. All of those will work. Very cool. Very cool. And Dave Higdon is a uh, aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oavbuyer.com, AEA.net, uh, or, you know, roll the dice and see whether you get snake eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where are you on the Internet? Uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, uh, JEBurnside.com, sometimes AEA.net, sometimes AvWeb.com. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan, Royce Earle, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the new improved blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you're going to say something? Best key to a long life is airtime, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Go fly. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. AMFFM. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.